Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. If you listen to the pundits, Joe Biden's State of the Union was a populist message. It was about trying to reach the forgotten man. That was Donald Trump's line and Donald Trump's methodology. It was his speechwriters finally figuring him out after two years. How he likes things, how he likes to phrase things. And of course, if you watched, it was Joe Biden doing what is Joe Biden's nature. He likes to get nasty and he likes to scrap. That's not deniable when you hear things like this. In the last two years, my administration has cut the deficit by more than $1.7 trillion. The largest deficit reduction in American history. <laughs> Under the previous administration, the American deficit went up four years in a row. Because those record deficits, no president added more to the national debt in any four years than my predecessor. Nearly 25% of the entire national debt that took over 200 years to accumulate was added by just one administration alone, the last one. They're the facts. Check it out. Check it out. They're the facts. Check it out. Uh, The facts don't seem to be with President Biden, but again, it's numbers. It's all a question of how you want to add them. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today, good to be with you. Congressman Jim Banks joins us right now of the Indiana 3rd District, also a candidate for Senate in the state of Indiana. You're sitting in the room and you hear Joe Biden say uh, Trump added 25% of, of our debt, and those are the facts, and check it out. What say you? (laughs) Well, I checked it out. And under this president, we now have a thirty two trillion dollar national debt. And it was it was uh, high enough under Trump. But under Biden, it's gone up more than at any point in American history. So this president has spent more than any president before him. And, Tony, that's why six and ten, six out of ten Americans believe that 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 Joe Biden hasn't accomplished not very much or very little since he took office. And only 37 percent of Democrats want Joe Biden to run for office again. So those are the facts, uh, Joe Biden. Check, check those facts out. The fact of the matter is the president last night, the president last night gave a State of the Union that can, a speech that completely glossed over the real issues affecting the American people, the economy, inflation, high gas prices, you know, you, t- you take uh, you take inflation, which was at one point four percent when Joe Biden took office today. It's over six percent. You look at uh, energy gas prices were on average two dollars and thirty nine cents a gallon when Joe Biden took office today, on average, three dollars and forty seven cents. The highest household energy cost in 15 years. I, I could go on and on in my list of of numbers that you can check out and find to be true. And, and the fact of the matter is the state of the union is a lot worse off today than it was the day that Joe Biden first took office. 
but as just so we're on the same page, making sure we understand each other, we're not saying that Trump didn't spend. Even I argued that Trump spent. He's making the argument that he has been able to cut the deficit, and it's Trump who added all of the debt. And the argument from Republicans is, yeah, that's not the case. Yeah, that's just a that's a bold-faced lie. It's like a lot of other lies they told last night. Talk about having a plan that the Republicans are blocking to secure the border. And it's this president who opened the border wide open, which is why we have the fentanyl crisis in America, the, the leading cause of death of Americans, your and yours and my age, Tony, is fentanyl because it's flowing over the border at unprecedented rates because of, of, of the biggest humanitarian crisis in American history. And he lied to the American people and said he had a plan to secure the border. And I, I, I looked around at all of my colleagues, my my even colleagues on the other side of the aisle were looking around. They had no idea what plan he was talking about because he doesn't have a plan. It was his plan that opened it to begin with. So whether it's lying about the deficits and the debt, which is on a trajectory to continue to go sky high with the spending rates of this president or a lot of other subjects, not only did he not tell the truth, he didn't focus on the issues that really matter to the American people. And that's what's so disappointing about it. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District, also a candidate for Senate for the Republican nomination in the state of Indiana. It it was clear to me, and I think to a lot of people, that he was trying to make the claim of, look, I'm the guy who understands blue collar. I'm the guy who's going to deliver a populist message, the forgotten man. Di- the, your district, uh, right, uh, the, the third, and, and you can even uh, say this about uh, Congressman Yonkum's district, you deal with a lot of blue-collar people, tremendous numbers of, of manufacturing going on in those areas. In your view, was there anything that Joe Biden offered in, in an honest assessment that connects with those voters, or are those voters looking for something different? Yeah, I think it, you know, at the end of the day, if you think about it, it doesn't matter what comes out of his mouth. He's already lost the trust of the American people. I remember what I said. I mean, not even not, not even 40 percent of Democrats want Joe Biden uh, to run for office again and think that he deserves a second term as president. So I think for the most part, Hoosiers are listening to a speech like that one last night. And if they don't if they didn't doze off in the process, they they well understand that he's full of it. Uh, the stuff that he's talking about, he's had he's had two years, which he's squandered as president to focus on bringing down inflation, controlling gas prices, a sky high uh, violent crime rates all over this country because of the Democrats soft on crime policies, the fentanyl epidemic that's I don't talk to a single almost a single family anymore in Indiana as I travel the state who hasn't been affected one way or another by the fentanyl and drug epidemic in this country. So they they know that whatever comes out of President Biden's mouth doesn't match the reality. They know they know that that it just those are empty words coming from this president. So I think that at the end of the day, he can say whatever he wants. He can pretend to be a populist. He can try to connect with working people, but 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 he doesn't. He, he hasn't uh, earned. In fact, he's lost the trust of of working class Americans to begin with. One of the conversation pieces uh, that got certainly got the most attention was this conversation regarding uh, Social Security. And regarding Medicare, and when the president said this. (laughs) 
So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be fine. All right. We got unanimity. Joe Biden was very excited about this, that Social Security and Medicare won't uh, be touched. Some people have noted, yeah, you have to touch them. These are programs that don't work. Did Republicans just roll over and show the soft side of their belly there, or is there something else at play? Well, he also, I mean, the other part of that that, uh, clip uh, that's worth playing was him accusing Republicans of wanting to sunset Social Security and Medicare, which isn't which is not. I mean, that's not rooted in any truth at all, Tony. So he he lied to the American people about the, the the stance of Republicans versus Democrats when, you know, at the end of the day, the reality is that what what Republicans believe and the, the types of of uh, reforms that we have uh, put forth are to save these programs, save Social Security and Medicare for future generations by without touching or impacting Social Security benefits for anyone who relies on them today or who will rely on them in the near future, but but reform these programs so that they will last well into the future for later generations. So uh, the president just uh, just a bold faced lie about about Republicans wanting to. I mean, this is the the boogeyman politics of of Democrats that that the voters have caught on to. That again, Hoosiers are Hoosiers are well aware that the words that come out of this president's mouth don't match the reality. So they, they know when he's lying. Uh, Hoosiers can tell. They, they see it. They, they already know it. But there, there were a number of lies wrapped up in that, uh, that exchange uh, as well. Were you okay with all the words that came out of Republicans' mouths last night with the shouts of, of liar, when conversation about fentanyl, somebody shouted out, it, it's, it's your fault? Do you think that creates an issue for the Republican Party going forward? Look, I mean, I, it, is, it is Joe Biden's fault that fentanyl is flowing into this country at, at rates that it, that it has, has been and is the leading cause of death of Americans my age, um, that we have a crisis in this country when it comes to uh, to, to the, the drug epidemic, the wide open border, um, you know, that that is Joe Biden's fault. I mean, the first day in office, he signed executive orders to stop construction of the wall, return to the catch and release policies of the Obama administration to stop the Trump policies of the remain in Mexico policy that worked uh, to secure the border. So uh, that th- those those are that. I mean, I, I, I well, I wasn't one on the floor who was necessarily shouting or reacting in that way, uh, you know, I, I, I agree that Joe Biden deserves the blame. And I think most Americans agree, too. Talking to Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District as we go over this state of the union. Um, what did you hear that could make you say, you know what, I'm going to take the president up on that. And here's my piece of legislation. What do we got? Is there any place where you personally or Republicans uh, uh, as, as a whole will say, you want to work on this thing right here? Let's go to work on it. Where did the president, as you see it, give a moment of, of rationality to create an opportunity? Well, it was a very brief moment. Uh, I wish you would have talked about it a lot more, but uh, a, a bipartisan a growing bipartisan agreement, especially with Nancy Pelosi out of the speaker's office, uh, that we have to tackle the China threat. China is the greatest national security threat facing America today. And, and the balloon sort of awakened so many Americans to that reality. And the, the weakness of this administration projected toward 
the Chinese Communist Party, but the balloon was sort of a, a wake-up call for the American people. And while he, while President Biden didn't talk about it, he did sort of, you know, tip his hat that that uh, we have to do more to confront China last night. And I I, I want to take him up on that. And uh, I'm a part of the new select committee on confronting the Chinese Communist Party. We we kicked it off this morning. We're going to be working hard over the next two years to develop a whole of government strategy and approach to confront uh, the economic and military threats that China poses to America. The other thing that they talked about last night that I appreciate that echoed uh, uh, the themes of the of the Trump administration and some of the good work of President Trump is, is to support uh, made, in, made in America policies, especially when it comes to critical infrastructure projects. So uh, while I haven't seen a lot of action on that front by this president, I want to I want to I want to encourage him to to follow through on that commitment that he made when it comes to especially steel made in America, also made in Indiana. Uh, we're the fifth largest steel producing state uh, in the, or one of the top steel producing states in the country. And Northeast Indiana is, the, is one of the top congressional districts that produces steel. So let, let's uh, let's go there. Let's let's find bipartisan ways to work on that. And I'll be happy that we did. Uh, to just taking a, a, a step back to the China conversation, because I'm in agreement on, uh, you know, there was conversation that if you only buy made in America, it's going to cost more to do the projects. To me, uh, I think that's, you know, that's the price you pay for not being supportive of maybe other places like China. We talk about this balloon. Um as you know, I've had time to go over this. Maybe you've gotten some information that you can share. Is there a reason that this Chinese well, spy balloon was not shot down when they maybe first knew about it and it was traveling the Aleutian Islands? Was it really only known about when it hit Montana? And why the wait? Was it, was it really a safety and security issue or was there something else going on in your view? What can you tell us? Yeah, there's no good reason why they didn't shoot it down when it first entered our airspace. Um, it, you know, it, it, it coming from uh, from the west and and uh, the Aleutian Islands and and uh, in that vicinity would have been just as safe to shoot it down there as to wait until it cr- crossed the entire United States of America. They shot it down off the off the coast of of uh, the Carolinas. So there's no good reason for it. But I, I do, the administration was caught flat-footed on it. They didn't know how to. Explain it. Uh, the, the Pentagon played politics and said, "Well, there were balloons that were spotted during the Trump administration, but no senior official in the Trump administration is aware of it." Which raises a lot of other questions, like why, why weren't they uh, notified? Why, why weren't they briefed? Wasn't the president or his senior advisors briefed if if it did happen during the Trump administration? And why aren't we doing doing more to stop it? I mean, to a, a Chinese spy balloon. In American airspace and in, in, in our own airspace, uh, why we would allow that and not uh, take swift and tough action against it is, is just another sign of how weak this administration really is. Is there anything to the argument that, you know, when it was shot down, there's a seven-mile uh, debris field. People could have could have been injured. You didn't know what was in the balloon. There could have been something dangerous uh, to affect uh, American citizens. In your view, no reason not to make it happen. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know why they couldn't have shot it down when it was first uh, uh, detected uh, in, in, uh, in, safe, in a safe place. Uh, where Americans wouldn't have been affected by shooting it down at that point. So, so many questions. Um, we're going to have hearings on it, I'm sure, for several weeks to come. We had, we had a hearing yesterday on, on uh, the China subject and the Armed Services Committee and uh, was able to 
ask uh, uh, retired Admiral Harris some questions about his thoughts, what it, you know, his military background. He did confirm that when he was serving in the first half of the Trump administration uh, in uniform, there were no none of these spy balloons that were detected. But um, you know, that we we need to we need to question the leaders who are in the jobs today. And when General Milley and Secretary Austin and Pentagon officials come before the House Armed Services Committee, I guarantee we'll be asking some of those tough questions at that point here in a couple of weeks. Congressman Jim Banks of the Indiana 3rd District uh, candidate, Republican uh, for uh, Senate in the state of Indiana. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us. We've got more coming up. I'm Tony Katz. So I was talking about, you know, how they're having this... uh, House hearing uh, about Twitter and safety and security and, uh, online and oh my gosh, this is getting personal. Representative Acosta Cortez, uh, isn't it disgusting that libs of TikTok is still on Twitter and Yoel Roth, who used to head up security, is like, yeah, I, I, regrettably they're still on Twitter. <laughs> We're going after people personally. And is this Ocasio-Cortez trying to gin people up to attack the libs of TikTok account and uh, the woman who runs it personally, just like she claims libs of TikTok led to violence against uh, a Boston's Children's Hospital uh, and transgender people? I mean, what's good for the goose, Representative Ocasio-Cortez? Uh, I'll share that with you tomorrow. She is such a, she's such a child. Unbelievable. Childlike in every presentation. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. But man, you want the confrontation? This is Representative Marjorie Taylor Greene, who's back on committees, talking to Yoel Roth, Y-O-E-L, Yoel, who ran security, the guy who banned her Twitter account, and, oh, this is not for the faint of heart, children, so glad that you're censored down. I'm so glad you've lost your jobs. Thank God Elon, Elon Musk bought Twitter. And you know what? Let's talk about something a little bit further. It's amazing to me, Mr. Roth, as the head and trust of safety at Twitter, your ability, or should I say inability, to remove child porn. Now, here's something that disgusts me about you. In your det- doctoral dissertation entitled Gay Data, you argued that minors should have access to Grinder, an adult male gay hookup app. Minors? Really? You know, Elon Musk took over Twitter and he banned 44,000 accounts that were promoting child porn. You permanently banned my Twitter account, but you allowed child, child porn all over Twitter. Damn. Oh my! Now listen, I I don't know Yoel Roth at all, and I and and I'm, I would only assume that if there's a strong possibility that he would say, "Yeah," and I'd ban you again. Like like once you're getting attacked, what what, what does it matter? But it is kind of interesting where people's priorities are, right? What what is it that that they do focus on, right? Within degrees, we have different desires, wants, etc. But Marjorie Taylor Greene. Instead of child porn? You gotta be a special kind of person to think, yeah, that's right. And when I say special, I don't mean good. Because it's really ugly. 
Really ugly. What is my takeaway from the State of the Union? You ain't going to believe it. Keep it here. I'm Tony Katz. So I almost feel bad that so much of today is taken up by the State of the Union, but it happens once a year and there's a lot that comes from it, including the constant reminder that we don't need any of this crap. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-GOT-TONY, that's the number. 833-468-8669, 833-GOT-TONY. That is the number right there. Um, This isn't how it's supposed to go. How it's supposed to go is the president sends a letter over to Congress, says, uh, dear Congress, everything's cool. Thanks. Bye. BFF. You know, Joe, or I guess back in the day, George, right? It's not supposed to be this dog and pony show, all this level of pomp and circumstance. And and, and to that end, while I agree that this was, this was a, there was a back and forth, there was screaming of liar and, and this is your fault, talking about the fentanyl issue, which yes, Biden takes responsibility for not doing enough about the border. It's his border. He's not doing enough. Uh, one could argue that this is all unseemly. I just won't left the, let the political left lecture me about unseemly. Speaker Pelosi there finishes the State of the Union. She's ripping up the speech. Some people called you a liar because you lied about wanting to put an end to Social Security and Medicare out of the Republican position? That, that's the, 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 the great shame? Pelosi rips up the speech. Well, you know, a lot of passion. A lot of passion in Speaker Pelosi. Just stop it. I can tell you that I think Republicans shot themselves in the foot too busy trying to be loved by a constituency and not thinking about the long game ahead about how you deal with these Democrats and how you have the power. You don't have to get into a you know what in contest with him. You're not going to pass the stuff. Can't have the money. Now what do you want to talk about? You kind of forgot where you were in the, in the, in the situation. You're in charge. You've got the house. You've got the power of the purse. Nancy Pelosi was sitting amongst the people, not behind the president. So act like it. I often say this about uh, pro sports, specifically in the NFL. Uh, this, uh, a guy will score a touchdown, and it's this ridiculous amount of dancing and celebrating. Barry Sanders just gave the ball back to the ref. Be more like Barry Sanders. Act like you've been there before. That's what you need to do. And then go about things uh, like uh, exposing Joe Biden for the fraud he is. Like when he talks about how thrilled that we're not going to cut Social Security and Medicare. Remind him of his past statements. I, when I argued that we should freeze federal spending, I meant Social Security as well. I meant Medicare and Medicaid. I meant veterans. Benefit. I meant every single solitary thing in the government. And I not only tried it once. I tried it twice, I tried it the third time, and I tried it the fourth time. So that's Joe Biden back in the day uh, four times, four times trying to put a freeze on spending uh, Social Security and Medicare. Ha! Ha! 
What do you what do you know about that? That's how you handle it. That's how you handle it. So no, I don't think Republicans did a perfect job, but listen, it's the Republican Party. Uh, they're the party of stupid. If anybody can ruin anything and uh, snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory, it's the Republican Party. But there is a conversation that has gone about and gone around about the idea that this speech for Joe Biden puts him on the track for 2024. And I said, I'm sorry, what? And so this is last night. Remember, I didn't sleep much. Well, I slept like four hours, right? I've got the morning show. I'm reading all this stuff because I want to hear how people are responding to it. I know my take, but I also want to hear how people are, are responding to it. I'm like, what, what do you mean this sets him up for 2024? How could you think that this sets him up for 2024? I mean, never mind where, where you know, MSNBC what was on the speech. That part is completely and totally inconsequential. Let me ask you, this, this is the guy right here that sold himself so well last night? Democracies have become stronger, not weaker. Autocracies have grown weaker, not stronger. Name me a world leader who changed places with Xi Jinping. Name me one. Name me one. Okay, Kim Jong-un. Kim Jong-un would change places with Xi Jinping in a heartbeat. Just just saying you wanted an answer. And I had to ask myself, if I was a member of Congress, would have I would I have yelled it out? Because I'm right. And it would have just stopped the room. What were you going to do? You were screaming at me, demanding an answer. Name one. Dear Lord, how is this How is this not already a sound effect for me? Who changed places with Xi Jinping? Name me one. Name me one. That's just... Name me one. Oh, yeah. That's, that's going in the repertoire right there. That's happening. Kim Jong-un. But that's not it. That's screaming... Got people to think that, oh, man, man, Joe is gearing up for a 2024 run. He's gearing up for a 2024 run because he stayed awake? Because he actually did show and that legitimate showed some energy? I, I don't know about that. That seems to be a stretch. But let me bring you a bit of Van Jones, who has politics I disagree with, but he has observations oftentimes that are very, very clear. Just keep underestimating Joe Biden. Just keep doing it. Just keep doing it. I mean, the reality is uh, I'm, you know, my wing of the party didn't think he was going to be able to get through the primary. We thought he was going to drop out after, after Iowa. He got the nomination. He got the job. He's doing the job. And so I think that uh, tonight is a night. Let's hear from the guy. Uh, let's hear what he has to say. I think he's going to get a chance to make make the case. Now, this was Van Jones before the State of the Union began. This idea of underestimating kind of stuck with me. As, as I heard Van Jones say it, underestimating him. And, and you got to admit, you have to admit certain things. 
honesty requires, well, honesty. And, and this is what happens when you're not ideological, but you're rational. You take a look at all the pieces. Joe Biden has beat the odds everywhere. You can argue problems with the election. You can argue this, that, and the other. You can argue till you're blue in the face. Honestly, tell it to your mama. Here's the reality. It's been two years. Joe Biden is president, and the midterms didn't go the way Republicans wanted them to. Joe is still standing. And then I, so I hear this from Van Jones. I see the speech where Joe Biden stays awake. I then hear all of these pundits discuss that Joe Biden is gearing up as strongest uh, uh, thoughts yet that he's gearing up for re-election. And I came to an understanding. I came to what my father would describe as the O's. Right, some people refer to it as the aha moment. The O's, the, minute, the moment you go, oh, that's it. My whole life, he has discussed this. And what the O was, the aha moment was, was that the Democrats have finally gotten to acceptance. The Democrats have been going through the five stages of grief. They don't have a candidate for 2024. And when presented with that, they first denied that there was an issue. My gosh, Joe Biden is fine. And oh, look, we've got Kamala Harris. And oh, look, we've got Pete Buttigieg. We've got a great bench. Everything is great and terrific and wonderful. They had the ability to deny, after all, because, you know, um, well, they just won the presidency against Trump. And then it became anger. Who are you to say that Joe Biden can't do the job? You are such an ageist. It's disgusting and despicable. What? Kamala Harris can't do it? You're afraid of a black woman being president of the United States? You're just a racist and a bigot. You know, you're not the kind of racist that Joe Biden was when we were calling him a segregationist until we made him our nominee and then president. But you're a racist. See what I did there? That's pretty fun. That was the anger. Then came the bargaining. Well, maybe we could figure a way for for Joe to kind of step step aside and then and then the Kamala will, will move in. You know, Kamala's not doing so great. Yeah, but 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 Joe is he's he, he's falling asleep and he's he's always looking for an ice cream truck. I mean, this is this is just this is bad. All right, what if what 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 if what about Pete? What if we talk about Pete Buttigieg? Whoa, we kind of elevate him up. What he he had a uh, uh, one of his uh, vehicles drive his bicycle a block away from his office so he could ride his bike the rest of the way to try and pretend that he rides his bike to work. Oh crap. Okay, huh. and that led to depression. Oh my gosh, we don't have anybody. Joe Biden can't do this. Kamala Harris, everyone hates Kamala Harris. She's incompetent. She's done nothing with the job. Dear Lord, Pete Buttigieg went on a how many month paternity leave after adoption? Dear, why is there nothing on the shelves? Whoa, whoa, whoa. what happened with Southwest Airlines? And then depression set in. That's, That's the line you're looking for. Which brings us to the fifth stage of the five stages of grief.
acceptance. And that is what I believe you saw from the Democratic punditry class last night and this morning. The acceptance that, uh, well, he's still alive. Let's run him. What have we got to lose? Besides, he's beaten all the odds already. That is what happened in the State of the Union last night. It was acceptance. It was getting through the five stages to the realization that Joe Biden is the best that they've got. That is my take. The speech was not great. I argued with some people. Kurt Schlichter, town hall, was arguing with me. I'm like, you're out of your head. And then, and then Kurt had, a, had an excellent point. When you saw uh, the, the, the pushback on um, Social Security, and there was a pushback uh, on, on Social Security, when, when, when this moment happened right here. Some Republicans want Medicare and Social Security to sunset. I'm not saying it's a majority. Let me give you, anybody who doubts it, contact my office. I'll give you a copy. I'll give you a copy of the proposal. That means Congress doesn't vote. Well, I'm glad to see you. No, I tell you, I, I enjoy conversion. Got to admit, I enjoy conversion. It's a funny line. But Kevin McCarthy had already taken this off the, 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 the table, right? He already taken this off, off the table. This, this was gone, and this was done, and this was finished. But when this all happened, I was thinking it, and Kurt Schlichter had, had uh, tweeted it. Democrats just took their biggest chip, their biggest club off the table. How are you supposed to claim now that Republicans want, an, want to end Social Security when they just said they didn't, and you just came to an agreement with them? Because that's what happened. You came to an agreement with Republicans right there on Social Security. So, folks, as we all apparently agree, Social Security and Medicare is off the, off the books now, right? They're not to be fine. All right. We got unanimity. So one could argue that's actually a very bad moment for the Democratic Party because they can no longer use it as a cudgel against the political right. They can no longer lie about it because, look, they just came uh, together on it. That was a pretty interesting take, I thought. And I had been going through that like, this is this is weird because, first, you got to do something about Social Security and Medicare. It's a serious issue. And secondly... There's something politically here, and that's exactly what it is. The speech wasn't great for, for, for Joe Biden. It was populist, as I've discussed, and, and a series of other things, and a very Trumpy edge to it. It wasn't great. Fair at best. But my takeaway is that this was the end of the five stages of grief from the Democratic Party. The end. They've come to acceptance. It's going to be Joe. Now, plan your strategy, Republicans. Plan well. I'm Tony Katz.
with all this about the State of the Union that everyone's talking about, never ever think that this is going to keep people who are um, obsessed from doing, you know, obsessed-like things. Like Joe Scarborough there on MSNBC engaging conspiracy theories about former President Trump. And, and, and by the way, Gene, when, when people are asking um, how Blinken or Biden could ever talk to China, Mm-hmm. Again, because of a balloon. Exactly. By, the way, by the way, Donald Trump allowed a balloon to mm-hmm. float over Florida in 2019 and didn't shoot it down. How weak? How sad? How incredibly sad? But if people. Isn't that debunked? Isn't that what didn't happen? That at first it was that got leaked and then it was, oh, well, the Trump administration didn't know. We discovered this after he was already out of office. And now you got to ask the question of whether that happened at all. Joe Scarborough, Mika Brzezinski don't care. MSNBC doesn't care. More, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Morning Joe used to be the intellectuals morning show in terms of the cable nets. That's what it was. Not anymore. This is embarrassing stuff. There's so much you can discuss. It doesn't all have to be, yeah, but Trump, especially when it didn't happen. Honestly address situations. It's always better. Isn't it better? It's better for me as a host. Is it better for you? I I would only hope so. I couldn't imagine you'd be here if I didn't engage things honestly. I just, I don't think I would treat you that way either to not engage honestly. That sounds crazy to me. Keep it here. This is Tony Katz today.